Hello and welcome to College Admissions with Mark and Anna. Each week we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how stressful this process can be, so each episode we try to make it easier to navigate. Now, here are your hosts, Anna Wren and Mark Hoffer. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the College Admissions Podcast with Mark and Anna. Um, I'm your host, Anna Wren, and... Mark Hofer. And today, we have a really special guest. We have Debbie Schwartz, who is a former financial services marketing executive with expertise in personal finance. She's also a parent, so very relatable, with three children, and has had the personal experience of navigating college admissions and paying for it on her own for her children. From her experience with her oldest child, she knew families needed better information and tools to make smarter college decisions, um, and that's how she kind of got started in Road to College, which is a website, and the Paying for College 101 group on Facebook. So welcome, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here, Anna and Mark. Fun to do this type of conversation. Yes. So I guess tell us a little bit beyond what I just said is that it's a website and a Facebook group. Um, Tell us a little bit more about, I guess, how it started. Sure. Um, Well, as you you mentioned, I spent many years working in financial services companies, trying to um, explain uh, complicated financial products to the general consumers out there, um, and always trying to um, explain things in as simple language as possible and making sure that people understood calculations and things along that line. And um, I um, took time off with my own kids, and I have three kids, and we're still raising them. (laughs) But... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, you know, and, um, but, um, I went back to do some consulting work and it just was ironic. It was the same time that I, my oldest daughter was applying to college, um, for her first time. It was our first time as a family going through the process. And, um, the consulting project I was working on was working for a major student lender. Um, and it was the first time I saw that whole world of student loans and um, how families were making this decision about taking out a loan, how much to take out. And really the sad part, I saw two big things, was that one, parents were just overwhelmed and confused, um, and they didn't really know how to make a good decision. And the second was that it was a decision that had the impact, uh, that had the potential of impacting two generations at the same time. So a bad decision was impacting the student and it was impacting the parent. And really, there's really no other financial decision like that. And um, I just felt that parents needed better information to, you know, make good decisions. And as I kind of dug deeper into it, I realized it wasn't just giving them better information on loans. It was kind of moving further down and really people needed to handle the college admissions process better, better. Um, and then they would have a better financial outcome. And so you, it's really hard to divor- divorce the two, you know, paying for college and college admissions. They kind of go hand in hand. One of the things, Debbie, I, when you bring that up, and I'm amazed at how many, uh, I don't know what the percentage is right now, but it has been increasing the number of families who's, whose parent, the, the parents of a student who are about ready to enter college and take on loans, the parents actually are still paying off their student loans. And so I think it's a very timely, as you note, a very timely subject that uh, when students are headed to college, this is a a first front of mind conversation they should have. 
Yes, no, absolutely. You know, and the other thing I noticed in like the industry as a whole was that um, I kind of say that there's the front end of debt and the back end of debt, right? The, the back end of debt is when you, when you have it and you, you, it's kind of hard to get rid of it. And there's a ton of companies there. There's a ton of companies, oh, we'll help you refinance. Oh, let me tell you about all the refinancing options, right? But I mean, but you've already kind of done the bad deed. You know, you've, you've committed to your debt. And there's very few people on the front end kind of saying, wait, let, let us help you, you know, understand this whole process. Let us help you understand, you know, how you can make a better decision before you commit to the debt. And so kind of that's where I wanted to put my energy. So kind of that's why I created the website Road to College and then a little bit stumbled into creating a Facebook group, which just grew organically, which goes to show you kind of the topic um, and the need that people had to, you know, talk to each other about it and learn as much as they could. As you know, there's like uh, many members in your group. I think it's over 10,000 now. Um, and oh, 50,000. Oh, 50,000. Uh, 50,000. And <laughs> obviously, you know, everybody is so open in your group in terms of sharing what's worked and what hasn't for their families. And I feel like it's a very educational journey. But what are some of the best examples you've heard or seen from members that have made college affordable for their families? What did they do right? Yep. What I have seen, and people will share their stories, which I think is, is like the best lessons for other people to read, is when you hear you know, somebody else um, exactly what they did. And the people that seem to be, quote, more successful than others have really embraced that they need to learn this um, as a process, as they would learn you know, um, like a course in school. Um, they need to educate themselves, and they need to start early on in the, um, in the process and, you know, Ideally, you know, starting to learn in ninth grade is great. And you guys are, you know, help people with college admissions as well. And what I've seen is that, um, you know, the further on in the process that you kind of jump in and really start to understand or take hold, um, if you're later on, you, you can still do things, but you just have fewer options, right? So if you knew it earlier in the process, your options are more broad, but the later you get, you've kind of cut off your, your, your um, possibilities. So the people who start early just, you know, have an advantage because they have, you know, more opportunity to um, change their direction if they need to. And you know, if they make a little mistake, it's not as, as big as when they're later on in the process. So that, that's a big thing. Is, and I know that that's such a cliche thing, start early, start early, but it does make a difference. Um, the other thing I've seen is when families can really um, just let go of this idea of, of a brand name school, or even that they're trying to um, you know, aim for a certain name of type of school. If they can kind of let that fall to the wayside, again, they've opened up their opportunities of um, you know different um, schools that are affordable and can probably deliver the same education, and so they end up you know tending to have a much better outcome. Um, the, the, another thing I try and get people to think about is that they are a consumer in this process; mm -hmm. um, that they shouldn't kind of feel that um, they can't ask questions, they are making a major financial decision and they should be researching. I mean, you wouldn't kind of go buy a house and not, you know, look at comparables, right? You wouldn't 
take the first mortgage that, that's offered to you, hopefully. You know, you're, you're shopping around. And, um, you know, the same thing, that families should really kind of feel comfortable that they can ask questions. They should be trying to get information and, and answers to whatever questions they have. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I think if a college isn't willing to kind of give answers to some questions that a family has, to me, that's a little bit of a, of a red flag that they need to think about, you know, in terms of how that college is going to deal with the student or the family going forward in general. If they're not willing, you know, this is a sales process for the college. And if the college isn't willing to kind of answer questions at that point, there's definitely not going to be as, you know, um, friendly and open later on once the student has committed. Whenever I am buying anything, anyone who doesn't want to answer my questions about anything is a red flag when we were talking about college and, and how many zeros at the end. Yeah, I think a college should be answering every question thrown at them. Exactly, exactly. I mean, so that's what I mean. So people should take their consumer attitude, you know, with them as they would buy anything else, as they would, you know, research a car. They should take that same approach to this college process. I think we all grew up a little bit, you know, that colleges are in this, you know, academic field. Some of them are like, like behind the Ivy Tower and, you know, you don't mess with them. Well, I think that that's (laughs) gone. (laughs) And I just hope that other families, you know, realize it's that they don't have to um, abide by that image anymore. That's true. And I think that also makes families like less hesitant to ask for more money or to negotiate in the process. Um, I feel like, again, it's, you're buying a very expensive purchase, right? At the end of the day, you know, just like we would negotiate a house or a car. I think it is becoming also more common to negotiate, you know, how you're going to pay for college as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. One of the things I'd like to know when you uh, and since you've you fielded questions from from families and you've heard some of the questions that they've asked that have paid off in the process, um, what are like one or two of top tier questions that you would say every family before they consider any college and signing on the line? What are two financial questions that they should ask of that college that might be different? between colleges? Well, I'm not sure this is a pure financial question, but it it will feed into, you know, um, financial information. They should absolutely, if, if if a student has a particular major or career that they're trying to pursue, they should not, they should start with the career service and really ask pointed questions about where the students um, employed, you know, kind of like, you know, um, how many have been employed, uh, what are the starting salaries? And if they can't get answers, then they go to the um, department for that major. And if they can't get answers from those two places, I would start to be nervous. Very good. Very good. And I know that some colleges don't track that on like a, you know, a big, um, on, a, on a higher level across all of their students. But individual departments should have a pretty good idea of what's going on with their graduates. Well, they, they track it. They may not want to share it, but they yeah. do track it. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> That's a great point. And I think you had brought up so you, that you had um, kind of gotten into this by working for like a, a lender. And I guess another common question for families right now, especially as we're going into early action and early decision uh, coming up on the horizon in terms of students trying to decide, do I, do I take the plunge and do early decision? is it ever right to take out a loan? Like, 
in what situations does it ever make sense for students to take out a loan? Um, you know, yes, there, it, students should definitely feel it's okay to take out a loan. The question is the amount of the loan, right? And so um, the government is trying to kind of provide guidelines um, by capping how much a student can take out on their own each year. And, you know, the amount varies. And over the four or five years, I think it ranges from 27000 to maybe 31000 that a student can take out on their own. And the philosophy behind that, which, you know, I think a lot of us know is that, um, you know, that hopefully is the equivalent to a year's salary and that when you break that down to monthly payments, there it's a reasonable amount that a student should be able to pay back, you know, um, absolutely over 10 years, potentially less than 10 years. So, you know, at a minimum, everybody should somewhat be, feel comfortable that they can take out the, um, the federal student loans. The question is when you get beyond that, you know, how much beyond that um, federal total, you know, dollar amount should families feel comfortable with? And, you know, I, I think it is not like, I mean, there is a, a rule sort of say, but it does also come somewhat come down to family situations. I was, I just actually before this podcast had an exchange, um, you know, a, a com an email exchange with a parent who basically was saying the reason why they were okay with letting their student take out you know, significantly more money than, than the federal loans is because they had already, they already knew they were somehow, and I didn't get the detail, but they were committed and they knew the student was going to get signing bonuses um, from, they're actually going into um, being a pilot. And they knew that the ah. student was going to get signing bonuses. So they were okay because they knew the signing bonuses would ultimately take care of the extra loan amount. So I give that an example because sometimes you just don't know all the details about somebody's situation. Um, so, but, you know, parents and students need to sit down and say, okay, be, beyond the federal student loan amounts, um, how much more am I willing to take out? And, and sometimes that, A, just comes down to start doing the math, you know, really understand what the monthly payment is going to be, not just on one loan, but on what the loan amount is for the four years and start, you know, working the numbers. What field am I interested in going in to? What's the average salary? Where am I interested in living? You know, what are the rents there? Um, I mean, those are the types of, you know, am I, is a student interested in um, going to graduate school? Do they want to go on to medical school? You know, those are the conversations. And these are so hard because, I mean, it's hard enough to decide what you want to major in at 18 and then kind of say, oh, yes, I'm definitely going to go to graduate school, which is like four years away and you don't even know what college is like, you know? Um, so, you know, um, the best is to minimize the loans. Um, it is, I think, okay to definitely take out the federal loans and to go above that, you really need to start, you know, doing your numbers and doing your research about what that loan amount's gonna turn into in terms of a monthly payment, and are you potentially going into a career that can support that? Sure. Debbie, I, when, when we work with students, one of our, I, I think, one of our jobs and one of our goals should be trying to make some of the, uh, not only the academic part and some of the lifestyle choices and some of the finances um, understandable for students and families. But the finance one is always one of those things because it's, it's not tangible, it's in the future, and it's hard to get your head around, especially when you're talking with a 17-year-old. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I've, I've tried to do, and I would love to hear how you try to conceptualize that for a 17 year old is I try to explain to them what kind of lifestyle choices do you want to make upon graduation? Because basically if you take on X amount of debt, Will you be able to buy a new car in the next 10 years? Will you be able to make a down payment on a house in the next 10 years? And basically trying to frame it in a way that how will it have an influence on their lifestyle? Do you do similar things or how do you try to frame that for students? Um, I haven't done as much of the lifestyle you know, examples that you just gave. Um, I'll tell you what I, with my own kids, they their eyes were kind of blown wide open when we looked at, you know, um, what your uh, salary is versus what your take home pay is after taxes. <laughs> Gross versus net. Yes. And I was like, they were like, really? Like, what happens to all that money? You know? <laughs> and I think that, that that's just like, the, they have no idea, you know, that they think, you know, oh, oh I'm, I'm, uh, I have a $40,000 job a year job. I'm going to get $40,000. No, you don't get the $40,000. Know? <laughs> so just starting there is a big lesson. You know? so, That's a great point. I never thought of that before, Debbie. And it's so true in terms of, you know, as they even look at the major and they see, oh, the average starting salary is this, but then they might not realize that, hey, you don't see all of that money. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Having, having worked with many hundreds of engineers, many of them fresh out of school, and they are so excited to see that $100,000 a year. And like you say, well, actually, it's not. <laughs> right, 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 right. I, I will tell you personally, my daughter um, uh, graduated last year from college. She is an engineer. She got a very, very nice salary. She's living in probably the most expensive city in the country right now, San Francisco. So very, very, very nice salary is turning out to be very little leftover, you know, after monthly expenses. So it doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you end in terms of what's left over. And that's such a key point right there, Debbie. It's, it's where you end because I think most students only see like, oh, the number, the top number, and don't realize that, hey, taxes take out like 30 to 40%. And then after that, you have living expenses, which vary depending on where you end up. Um, and also, I would also say most students, I don't think, think at the time, but that salary typically that's offered already takes into account your cost of living. Uh, so that 100000 or whatever in New York City, that's so you can pay for stuff in New York City. <laughs> yeah. It's not necessarily right. for you to save. It's so that you can afford expenses. Right. I mean, you know, it would be great if it was a $100,000 salary in Kansas. You know, that's very different than getting the $100,000 in Manhattan. <laughs> It's true. So what should parents focus on as they plan for like affordability? I guess, you know, you mentioned like parents and students. And I think what I have unfortunately found is that um, parents aren't always as financially educated and savvy as we want them to be. And so sometimes students don't learn because the parents unfortunately don't always, you know, know um, all the financial um, knowledge that they should have. But I, I mean, on a basic level, I would hope that parents, you know, can sit down and um, 
and, and make a budget. I mean, this is kind of, you know, um, a touchy subject, but I think when um, parents are trying to figure out how much that they can pay for college, I think you have to be somewhat open with your students, you know, and maybe this is the time of, of in your relationship, you know, in your parenting, when you start to kind of open up, you know, this is how much sometimes, you know, sometimes parents don't tell students how much they make, you know, kind of what, what, what the expenses are in, in their family, you know? And so I think they need to start opening up and say, you know, this is um, what we've been able to save. Um, this is how much, you know, we can give to you. A lot of the discussion also might be if there's more than one child in the family, you know, um, not everything that a, fam a parent has saved can go to the first child. It might need to be split among two or three kids. Uh, so, you know, you have to kind of be honest and say, this is what we've saved. Um, this is what we think we can continue to help you with while you're in college. And so, hey, this is what this comes to. Maybe it comes to, you know, $15,000 for the year. You know, I don't know what the number is, but they need to kind of, as a family, come to what that number is and then start to work and look at, okay, this is what colleges cost us. And, and then, you know, they need to delve into finding out what their EFC is and understanding what the um, college's financial aid policies are and looking at net price calculus. And then you start down the whole path of, of trying to understand the process. But I think the other important thing is that um, this isn't like a one conversation. We walk away and everybody understands and, you know, we don't have to have this conversation again. <laughs> I think you need to kind of trickle it out, you know, um, start in ninth grade, just talking about this is, you know, maybe our budget, this is how much we were able to save, you know, um, it would be great if you can do your part and do as best as you can in school, because the better your grades are and your test scores, you know, blah, 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 that's going to give you more financial opportunities, you know, in terms of colleges, and then revisit that conversation again in 10th grade. And then obviously, as you get closer to the actual time when the process starts, Hopefully there's more comfort in, you know, in talking about it and in also what the numbers are going to mean for that student. And I have found that, you know, parents who are open and are not afraid to have this conversation, it may not sink in the first time with the student, but if, again, this word start early enough, if you start early enough by 11th grade and even by, you know, 12th grade when they're either deciding on what schools to actually apply to, or they're looking at the um, um, awards at the end, it, the, the, the student kind of takes it on, you know, as um, that they are a major part of this decision because the, the debt is going to be theirs, you know, as much as their parents. That's a great point. And I think the, the benefit, I think, of having everybody in on the discussion is to manage expectations. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times it's like, I don't know about you, Mark, but I work with families where, you know, they don't want to talk about cost. <laughs> and I think you find yourself in very interesting situations, so much so that I even have a policy that I will say like, hey, I don't believe in letting your child apply for college that your family can't afford. Yep. So you need to run the net price calculator on your list. Right. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. And then 
I actually have a funny story. So like my family, we have like family friends and they actually had three kids. And so they spent all the money on the first child (laughs) having to, and there's nothing wrong with it. Sending their other two children to the state university. Um, no, it depends. Depends what you mean by nothing wrong. It depends, you know, if, if that's gonna right. I mean, <laughs> the state university is great too, but I'm sure the siblings might have something else right. to say. <laughs> so, Debbie, uh, Anna knows I, I give a lot of public presentations and talk about the application and admissions process. And one of the it's funny because you mentioned one of the things that I always say right at is have the talk with your child. The earlier, the better. And I had a parent who came up and she says, Mark, I, I totally understand. You know, we're supposed to talk about finances. I had the sex talk with my daughter. It was fine. That was, I don't know if I can talk about money. And it's it so was, true. Like, wow. It's kind of, wow. I, I, you know, I didn't see that coming. So. Yes, I know it's amazing that some parents will say that they feel more comfortable having a conversation about sex with their kids than they do about money. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You, and it could be because you have to be so transparent for the first time right, about right. the family situation. And so for some families, if they've been hiding it, um, <laughs> you know, if because you know some families like keep up with the Joneses and stuff like that, yep. then it's very eye-opening, I think, when it comes to college to try to have that conversation. Here's what's behind the curtain. <laughs> right. And I think for some parents, it's also the first time that they may not be able to give their child what what their child mm. wants and what they want to really give them, you know? Oh, so, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, it's just a, um, a reality, you know, that's hitting them that I want to give my child the best school that they can get into, but sometimes the best school they can't afford, you know? Yeah. Um, and so they have to say no, and it's a big no. Debbie, in our notes, you, you noted um, uh, the three buckets and, and I would love to hear how do you frame the three buckets for families and kind of identify how money is used and how conceptually they can view where money comes in and how it's used and where it goes. Sure. I, I think that it's, um, you know, a nice concept to, yeah, just, as you mentioned, to, I explained that there's, there's three buckets. It's really pretty simple. Um, sometimes maybe it's too simple. You wish that there were more options, but they just aren't. Um, so one bucket is really the money that families have been able to save, you know, uh, up until the child is 18. So that's money that's coming directly from savings or potentially it's coming from, um, you know, cash flow if, if a family can find money in their everyday, you know, um, life. So it's money that the family can contribute, no strings attached, there's not, nothing's going to have to be, be paid, paid back. That's bucket number one. Um, bucket two is money you can get free money that you can get from colleges and scholarships. That's a big bucket too, right? So that's a bucket um, if you do this process well, if you understand it, if, um, if you know what your needs are and what the colleges are looking for, you could potentially find a college that's going to give your student a good you know, merit scholarship or you match yourself to a college um, that has a financial need policy that you know is going to maximize the need that you that you have, and so that's free money that the college is going to give the student, right? And as you know, a lot of us know, but parents don't always know um, that the largest scholarship is most likely coming from the college itself. Yeah. Uh, so that's the most important scholarship to maximize, in my opinion. 
Um, and then there's, there are lots of, you know, private scholarships. Personally, I think they take a lot more time to find and apply to. They, you should not do them, but you should just understand, you know, um, kind of where you put your energy. I think most energy should go to finding the college that can give you the most money if that's, you know, what you need to cover the gap and then spend your energy getting private scholarships. But, so, but bucket number two is free money. So bucket number one was saved money from the family. Bucket number two is free money. And then the reality is what's left over, what the gap is, is money that's going to have to be borrowed. It's going to have to be borrowed from the government. It's going to, or if you need beyond that, it's going to have to be borrowed from a private source. And of course, you want to you want to do whatever you can to increase buckets one and buckets two, so you can minimize bucket three. Yeah. Um, that's really the simple math of it. I have a quick question about bucket number three because um, there's some there's some recent uh, news about the current administration is looking at the Higher Education Act and changing and modifying um, possibly what student loans are available. And that's both uh, subsidized and unsubsidized. Um, do you see that as something that uh, parents should actually be cognizant of? Or is this something that um, we've heard, you know, it approach to how is that going to change? How much money is available? Should it be something they're worried about? Or is this something that is just part of the overall planning process? So, um I'm curious. I, did, I haven't followed maybe that that closely. Is it you referring to the um, federal student loans or you, are they yeah. talking about changes to parent plus loans? No, the, uh, the, the federal student loans, both subsidized and uns unsubsidized. So that, you know, about $5,000, you know, varying depending on which year they're in. But it looks like that may actually be something that could go away. And mm. I know that that gap is a huge one. Right. For families and and I, you know something to be aware of. Honestly, if that is the conversation that's happening, I would be concerned because, to me, I would hope that the government would be discussing the Parent Plus loan. Yeah. Uh, because that, in my opinion, is what is fueling you know some of the um, increase in uh, tuition, um, you know, uh, increase in, in tuition costs. Because it's an unlimited loan and almost everybody can be approved for it. It's sad to hear that the government would be um, potentially decreasing or, you know, or changing the limits on the student loan because I think that it's, it's already capped and that the, the total amount that they cap it at is a manageable amount. So to know that that number would decrease, it would either mean that students are going to have to find other sources to borrow the money and that again could fall on the parents in the in the parent plus loan or the private loans, um, or I would you know hope that maybe you know reducing that uh, amount student loan amount would put pressure on the colleges. My guess is though, honestly, as long as that parent plus loan is unlimited, the, the colleges are not going to feel the financial pressure. Budge, yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. So since we're talking about the S word scholarships. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, and I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's kind of one of the things that should be involved in the, in developing the school list should also be identifying those schools that have scholarship money available from the university first, that should be your first target. But then there are those scholarships that are available through organizations, through individuals, through family foundations, all different kinds of places. So, 
when I have, I have so many students who say, oh, I can't find anything. And then this year, I have a student in California who is, you know, he is in a situation where he is pretty much having to do everything on his own. And he applied for 40 different, at least over 40 scholarships. Some of them I'd never even heard of. He just was really diligent in finding them, applying to them. And it made basically the entire gap go away. He won over half of them. That's fabulous. So how, how do you, when, when a student says, I can't find any, how do you approach that? Um, I will just to be honest up front, I'm not an expert in private scholarships, but in, you know, talking to a lot of people who have worked with students in private scholarships, I would um, give a few pointers. One is the example you gave is perfect because I do think that the kids who are successful treat it as a job. Yeah. They figure out a system of how to approach, you know, um, um, applying to the scholarships. They kind of figure out how do I get through this, you know, um, using all my tools. And, and the tools might be they have a few sets of, of um, essays already written. They've got, a, you know, kind of um, portfolios that they can pull to add to the, um, to, the, to the scholarship. So they kind of figure out, you know, how can I be a machine in kind of processing these applications? And those students I've definitely seen be successful in finding them. Um, the other thing, you know, this is a tip that a parent has mentioned in our Facebook group, which I just love, and um, I repeat it a lot, is, you know, uh, pe people are always tend to say they tend to be, students tend to be more successful with um, scholarships that are local. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot of reasons for that. The biggest is that they, local scholarships tend to have less competition. There's just fewer people who are applying to that, you know, um, scholarship. So it's a little bit of a numbers game. And the way that some families have found good local scholarships is that they look at the um, um, who won scholarships like last year from, from a school. You know, so that's one way so they can see who, you know, what, what the names of the scholarships were that the students won. And the second is that they go look at other um, local schools that aren't their own. So, you know, like, you know, you live within an area and there might be four or five other schools, high schools, and you go um, either call that guidance office or look up the website and you see what scholarships they're listing. So now you kind of have collected, you know, local scholarships from maybe, you know, a 30 mile radius of where you are. Um, and those uh, students have been pretty successful when they've um, you know, taken that approach. And I think to just try also, I feel like some students feel so, it's like it's so daunting to apply for scholarships. But I would say like, especially with local scholarships, I know a few of the high schools near where I am, they actually create scholarship packets for the seniors. I wish mm. more high schools did that um, in terms of the guidance department. And we'll literally just list them all out and give the, and I think they give it to the students quite early, like maybe the beginning of their senior year, so that they can also try and figure out, well, which ones will I qualify for and kind of is well, like I can or I should spend my time on. Um, and they'll also obviously list the dollar amounts. But I think to just try is, is important because I was once on a committee to read scholarship applications. And it just, I was like the people we ended up picking, I mean, we picked purely because they just, I think they just they were wrote the 1% in their applications, right? They, they sent in their applications and they took it somewhat seriously, you know, in terms of answering the prompt. And I was like, 
that's all they had to do. You know, there is so much free money. I'm sure there's money that goes unclaimed in scholarships every year, but I think it's also, you know, just to try and like you said, to make it a full-time job if you need the money. Yeah. And the other thing is to just like ask around again, I know from a family in the paying for college 101 group, um, their daughter won a scholarship from the local dentist you know, and from the local credit union. And they didn't even know the dentist had a scholarship. They were there for an appointment and, and they got to talking and the, and the scholarship said, and the, and the dentist said, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing a scholarship this year. So sometimes maybe it's just also like making it known, you know, in the community, like every person who you touch, you know, to say, hey, do you know any, any, any companies or organizations that are doing a scholarship locally? One of the first interns that I hired uh, at an aerospace company that I was working at, um, I was talking about how are you paying for school? And he mentioned, he said his parent or his mom hired him for his junior summer and basically paid him $12 an hour to apply to scholarships. Yeah. Said, wow. I, became, I became a machine. And basically what he said, and I have used this with many, many students who have employed the same method and many parents who have done it. And basically they recognize that after you do the first three to four, Right. You got, like you said, you, you have those essays in line and you have 80% of everything you're going to need to apply for every other scholarship you find. And basically, uh, I think every student that I've heard that has taken that seriously and made it their job, they have made it worth tenfold what their parents paid them by the amount of money that came in for school. Yeah, no, you're right. And it's a great lesson and it's a great skill set that, you know, will do them well beyond scholarships. I mean, you know, when they have to go look for a job, it's somewhat going to be, you know, a similar process, you know, particularly the way the internet is these days and, and, and uh, companies are receiving so many applications, you, you know, so my, I think, you know, the skills they learn in trying to approach the private scholarships can be used in so many different um, other areas. The other thing I'll say is that, and I wouldn't rely on this, but, um, uh, you know, once students get to college, there's also the opportunity to continue to search for scholarships, you know, um, ask within your department um, what scholarship opportunities are available. Um, to me, I would use that as kind of like the um, cherry on the top because you don't want to, you know, you know, think that, oh, I'll find those and then you don't and then you can't, you know, pay for college. But I guess the point is I wouldn't stop once you get to college. I know my own daughter um, went to a, wanted to go to a specific, um, conference for, um, women in engineering. And she asked her department and they said, yeah, write an essay and we'll cover, you know, we'll give you a scholarship for attending. So again, I, I, there's so many things in life, just ask and you know, the worst they'll say is no, but the best they'll say is, yeah, we can help out. That's one thing. A lot of students I know in engineering, there are a lot of scholarships that are only available after you're in school and right. you're a sophomore and have proven yourself as a uh, academic, uh, having academic potential. So, yeah, it, it's, it, you don't know until you're there sometimes. Yep, yep. And there also are creative ways in terms of how to afford certain things. Like I, I always, uh, like for example, I know most of the times you can't apply to be a uh, RA your freshman year, but in future years you could save the room and board costs um, if you're willing to be an RA at a school too. Is that, I mean, if you do well in a subject, you can be the TA, you know, the following year. So you can get really creative. Uh-huh. Um, what are, like, 
the top, I guess, top tips that you think or top things that families should keep in mind um, in terms of, you know, making or paying for college? Because um, obviously, you know, I, I read the group too, and unfortunately, there are definitely some stories that break your heart in the group. Yeah. But um, I guess what are some tips to kind of be on the winning end? Well, you know, I think in this day and age and kind of um, that when you apply to college, um, there shouldn't be any reason why you can't, you meaning the family, can't get close to an estimate of what that college is going to cost you before you send in the application. And I think so. too many, and maybe these are some of the stories you're referring to, Anna, too many parents either skip that, don't want to do that work, just close their eyes and say, well, we'll figure it out. We'll see what the results are and then we'll figure it out. And then you get the stories in March and April and May um, of, wow, I can't afford this. And, um, and either A, I have to uh, disappoint my child or B, I don't have any other options, you know, because they didn't really think um, about the financial piece and they don't have a financial safety. So I, truly believe that you can get, you, you know, you can't get an exact number, but you can get close to what it's going to cost you before you can apply. And that should be a big decision about what schools you apply to. Um, I think what people don't um, always recognize um, and um, that if you look at the big system or the big process, right, of this whole um, applying to college, paying for college, um, I think that the most important decision, believe it or not, this is my opinion, is the list of schools your student applies to, right? Because once that, pro that point in the process is over, you can't go back. You can't say, oh, I should have added school A because now I realize my child would have gotten a merit scholarship there and it would have been much more affordable. But now mm -hmm. it's March and, you know, it's the deadlines are over. So you can't go back. So that decision of what schools you apply to determines so much. Um, so anyhow, my advice is to really do your research, do the numbers before you finalize that, that list of schools um, to send in applications to. Very good. Deb, you have given us a huge wealth of things to think on and for, and for a, a lot of the people who are listening, they've, they're writing things down. So I have one last question for you and that's, there are a ton of free resources out there for planning for college and finances and all of this. Are there, say like, what are your top three go-tos that you recommend to parents? Okay, if you do three things, visit this, read this, do this. What are, what are, what are the top ones? Yep, top one is um, make sure you know your family EFC. So, um, you know, in my opinion, the College Board has a great EFC calculator. They have access to a lot of the college's calculations. You'll probably get as close to the most accurate, you know, EFC if you use um, the College Board's number. And so know your EFC. It may make a difference. It may not make a difference, but it's a great starting point. And then the next is absolutely visit every school your child is thinking of applying to and find the net price calculator for that school. Again, it may not be 100% accurate, but it's the best thing we have right now. And so it will give you a guide as to how affordable that school um, is. And then, you know, the last, I'll give you two more, um, four, <laughs> <laughs> um, is um, 
everybody mentions, and it is a great source, is a website called um, College Data, um, which has a lot of um, information about all this data that we're talking about for colleges. It will, if you, you know, you look up the school, it will tell you um, what percent of need the school meets, how what's the average merit scholarship. So it, that's the nitty gritty. But you know, you need to get into the nitty gritty, and I would definitely um, be become very familiar with that website. And then the last one is um, when it comes time, if you're going to take out any loans, do the calculators, run the numbers, um, you know, figure out what that monthly payment is, shop around, do do interest rates. Um, you know, it's kind of ironic. Everything that I mentioned to you is number based, but you know, you have to know the numbers. It's just the bottom line. Yeah, finances happen to be numbers. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way around that. We, we love to talk about big fluffy windows, but unfortunately. Well, thank you so much, Debbie, for joining us today. Thank you, guys. This was fun. I hope it helps somebody <laughs> out there. Um, and it's great that you're having these podcasts and these conversations, and I'm sure lots of families are learning from them. Definitely. And so I'll just reiterate again. So Debbie, is um, she has roadtocollege.com. And then she also, if you want to join her Facebook group, it's called Paying for College 101. And I think there you will find a wealth of resources. Debbie and her team put out so many helpful hip, uh, tips. Um, and the, the member community is very active also, I would say, in terms of you said, you know, learning from others who've gone through the experience. Um, so definitely be sure to check it out and uh, see Debbie in the group. Great. Thank you, Thank guys. You, Thank you. Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com. Thanks for listening to College Admissions with Mark and Anna, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each time we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.collegeadmissionspodcast.com.